0: Well, it was 15 years ago, I was working in the big state of Texas. I was doing Bible work there. While in Texas, I happened to email an old friend of mine, somebody from high school, somebody that, if I was honest, I still kind of had some feelings for. We'd had some chemistry in high school, and I wasn't 100% over that friendship. So we're, we're messaging back and forth, by messaging I mean email. Uh, you know, you get one one day and then maybe not for a long time. But one day, one evening rather, come back from work, giving Bible studies, working hard in the heat of Texas, I get on my host family's computer, slow dial up that had a hard time even loading Gmail. It was that slow. Uh, had to use the low-data version of Gmail just to check my emails. But I got a message from her, and there was a paragraph that I will quote to you verbatim that I got a little excited by. She wrote, So are you in Texas for a while, or are you ahem, thinking of going anywhere particular next year? You know, you need to start thinking about finding a wife. Or is Texas a good place for that? Beware of people from the South. That's my policy. No, not really. But you can't expect that perfect girl to hold out on you forever. You know, if you ever have any juicy personal info, I'm all ears. Smiley face. And to my young heart that was hoping and wanting to see something in this letter, I saw it. And as I read this, in my mind, my translation was, hey, what are your plans? Where are you going? You know I'm all the way up here in the north. You're in the south. But I'm not going to wait for you forever. I'm open to talking. Speak to me. And so I did. Sent back a message um, sharing that I still had some some thoughts, some feelings, wasn't sure where it might go, if anywhere, and then I waited for a reply. No response the next day, but, you know, people are busy. No response the following day. Three days, four days, seven days. Finally, ten days later, I get a response back. The title was No Little Green Men. She was saying, hey, I haven't been abducted by aliens, I've just been really busy. But in that response email, I learned I had misinterpreted her letter to me. Which wasn't the worst thing ever. It would have been very difficult uh, to make things work long distance. Um, and, and hindsight helps to clear up, clear up a few things in someone's mind. Uh, so I am so happy, honey, that I married you so happy but you know what this taught me this taught me even when you're reading a letter from somebody today you can misinterpret it and you can do it because you want to see things in the letter or because you don't want to see things in that letter you know we argue about the constitution which compared to the bible is really recently written but we still can't decide or agree what exactly various parts of it means. So how much more challenging is it at times to understand what the Bible, what the letters of the Apostle Paul mean 2,000 years down Earth's history? So we continue today, and we've got a slide we'll put up here, uh, our confusing Bible verses series. Again, today's passage was one that was suggested by one of you. And I just remind you, If you're interested, there are no passages, no verses that are off limits. You can text the number that's on the screen, or you can just talk to me if you're here in person. If there's a passage that you sincerely want to know what it means, I can't promise that I'll be able to tell you, but I'll do my best. So today, we get into Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And I'm just going to say right off the bat, I bought this book On this topic, it's called Judging the Sabbath, Discovering What Can't Be Found in Colossians 2.16 by Ron Dupre. If you want more than what I'm going to share today, I'm not going to share all the details. I'm going to give you the highlights as I see it. This book is fabulous. And I thought I had a good answer for this passage, but this book gave me an even better answer for this passage. Colossians chapter 2. So let's turn there and read what the Apostle Paul, some 2,000 years ago, wrote to us today. And we'll do our best. We'll do our best to see what it says and what it doesn't say. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. If you're there, you can say, I'm there. Last week I noticed someone say, I'm there, and they didn't even have a Bible. So, not saying who it was. Someone said it might have been a phone. That's a good point. They didn't appear to have a phone um, turned to the passage. But in any matter, uh, we're glad that you're here at home or here in person. Um, Hopefully you're here in your mind. Okay, Colossians chapter 2, because we need our thinking caps for today. I'm going to be going through a lot of stuff and hopefully we'll be tracking together. The Bible reads, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to what? To the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, because of what Jesus has done, let no one judge you in food or drink, or in regard to a festival, or a new moon, or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Many Christians, in fact the majority of Christians, and the majority of Bible commentaries, if you look it up, will tell you this verse teaches the seventh day Sabbath is no longer important because Jesus had it nailed to the cross. I want to share a couple of quotations to you just to illustrate this. From various Bible commentators. R.A. Torrey once wrote, No man can frankly interpret or face Colossians 2, 16 and 17 and interpret it in the light of other scripture and come to any other conclusion than that the Sabbath that Paul mentioned as having no binding force upon Christians is the weekly Sabbath. He says there's no other way that you can Honestly, encounter the other scriptures. Well, what about this next one? B.H. Carroll, he wrote this. This passage is the death blow to all sects which observe the seventh day Sabbath. Death blow. Okay? Walter Martin, he wrote that famous book, Kingdom of the Cults, back in the day. He said, of all the statements in the New Testament, these verses most strongly refute the Sabbatarian claim of observance of the Jewish Sabbath. Of all the verses in the New Testament, these are the clearest, he says, to refute the Jewish claim. Or rather, what he calls the Jewish Sabbath. One more quotation for you on the screen. H.M. Riggle. He said, here's a clear positive statement that the Sabbath was taken out of the way by nailing it to the cross. And therefore, no one has a right to judge us for its non-observance. This single declaration of Paul refutes all the theories of Sabbatarians. These are some pretty strong language, uh, strong quotations. And as people who hold to the importance and the continued importance of the seventh-day Sabbath, we need to really understand honestly and openly what is actually in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16, and the surrounding context. Now, what's interesting, and if you read the book that I read, you'll find this, in a study of 110 commentaries on this topic, most of the commentaries said, yes, the Sabbath was done away with, and this verse in Colossians is an example of that. But of those commentaries, none of them did an exhaustive, exegetical study of all the important terms and phrases used in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. And we'll see that as we go along here. But they came to the conclusion, in my opinion and in the opinion of the author of this book, they came to this conclusion without giving it a full and fair study. Now, How do we tell what Sabbath is used here? What meaning of Sabbath is used here? You're probably aware that the the word Sabbath in the Bible can mean a couple of different things. It can mean the the weekly seventh-day Sabbath, like we're observing here today. It can also refer to ceremonial Sabbaths. Now, what's a ceremonial Sabbath? It's a special day of rest that they observed as a Sabbath, but it was a feast or a holiday that could have fallen on any day of the week. It could have been on a a Sunday or on a Tuesday or on a Wednesday. It just depended on the calendar. So there were weekly Sabbaths. There were ceremonial Sabbaths. And the term Sabbath in the Bible can also be in reference to just a week. Uh, Sabbaton or sabata in Greek can simply mean a period of seven days. So how do we tell the difference? We've got to look at the context. And we we realize this in English also, there are certain words like the word bat. When I say the word bat, what what am I talking about? What am I talking about? Okay, like a baseball bat? Okay. Now what else could it be? It could be a verb, like he's up to bat. And then I heard one other thing. It could, a mammal that flies, yeah. Exactly. Who likes bats? Okay. Mary likes bats. Nice. <laughs> I know someone very close to me that's a little bit afraid of bats. <laughs> Not mentioning any names. <laughs> or what about this? Do you ever lie on your bed? Now, what do I mean by that? Do you ever lie on your do you ever tell untruths while laying on your bed or sitting on your bed? Do you ever lay down on your bed? Context helps us determine what I'm talking about. Or what about this one? The word R-E-F-U-S-E is what word? Okay, refuse, which means you say no to something. Or what? Refuse. What's refuse? Trash garbage. So in English, we just automatically, we don't have to think about knowing the meaning. We just automatically determine the meaning of a word simply by listening to what's going on. So we've got to be very good scholars and students of the Bible to look for the context of how a word is used. Now, Colossians is kind of a tricky one because there are less linguistic indicators that help us know how it's used. But I think we'll see there's some really good evidence from the Old and New Testament that can help inform us how this word is used. In the Old Testament, the word Shabbat or Sabbath is used 111 times and 94 of those times, it's clearly in reference to the Seventh-day Sabbath. There are clear linguistic indicators, words that are nearby, phrases that are used along with it that make it clear that's the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Sabbath. And the other 17 are lacking those clear indicators, and it becomes obvious that something else is being referred to. So, what are some of these Old Testament indicators? Think about it like this. There are words like keeping. If you see the word keeping or keep connected to Sabbath in the Old Testament, it's always going to be referring to the Seventh-day Sabbath. Or if it's called the Sabbath, with the definite article, the Sabbath, it's a specific Sabbath, the Lord's seventh-day Sabbath. If it has the word day connected to it, the Sabbath day, that's never used in a ceremonial context. Or if it's called holy, the ceremonial Sabbaths were never called holy, only the seventh-day Sabbath. Or when the Lord, when Yahweh calls the Sabbath my Sabbath in the Old Testament, every single time, it's the seventh-day Sabbath. In contrast, whenever he says your Sabbaths, it's always a ceremonial reference. It's always one of these other feast days. And finally, uh, using Sabbath to describe a cycle, like from Sabbath to Sabbath, that's always in the Old Testament a reference to the seventh-day Sabbath. In the New Testament, there are some key words that help clue us in it's the seventh-day Sabbath. Again, the Sabbath, or the Sabbath day, Or the phrase, the word lawful, Jesus used, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, and so forth. Or if you see the word synagogue, it's talking about the seventh day Sabbath. Or the word keep, or again, every Sabbath, a cyclical pattern. In the New Testament, it clearly means the seventh day Sabbath. Now, a special note is that some of these indicators are more clear in the original languages, Depending on how your Bible translates it, it may or may not use those words, but it's in the original uh, when you look at the Greek or the Hebrew. Now, in the Old Testament, there are some clues that remind us or show us that something is ceremonial in nature. So, words like afflict. You'll never see that with the Seventh-day Sabbath. Or the word weeks, or of her land, or if you see a feminine pronoun like her or she or the neuter pronoun it's, it's in reference to a ceremonial Sabbath or the word your Sabbath as we talked about. Interestingly enough, in the New Testament, there aren't any indicators for when it is ceremonial in nature. So simply lacking the, the indicators for the seventh day Sabbath is a good indication that we're dealing with ceremonial Sabbath. And there's really only one passage in question, and it's Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Um, now, in the New Testament, sometimes the word Sabbath means week, and if you see the word one or first or twice, that's a reference to um, Sabbath as being translated as week. So store those in your mind, because we're going to come back to those in just a moment. But commentators have also said, you know, the Apostle Paul, when he said festival or feast, new moon, Sabbath, he's talking about, he's using this calendar sequence going from more the yearly to the monthly to the weekly. And we see this in the Old Testament, they say. We see references of the same calendar cycle in the Old Testament where clearly we're dealing with the seventh-day Sabbath, Therefore, Paul must be dealing with the seventh-day Sabbath. Notice how the commentator uh, Maurice Logan puts it here. He said, a feast day or a new moon or a Sabbath day, referring to Colossians 2, note the order, yearly, monthly, weekly, and compare it with all of those passages you see on the screen where the same order, sometimes reversed, is given, in which in all of which the word Sabbath is the weekly part of the list. Paul evidently had the same order in mind. Okay? So when you start to study these verses that are commonly cited, there's something significant that we notice. A couple of observations. In each of those passages, excluding Hosea 2.11, instead of a three-part sequence, it's always at least four Sometimes it's five or six parts in the sequence. So the sequence doesn't quite match. And in each of those passages he referred to, again excluding Hosea 2.11, which we'll come to in a moment, it goes in reverse order. It goes daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. Which is very different from yearly, monthly, weekly, as they allege Paul is suggesting in Colossians 2. So they go in decreasing frequency. Each of these passages focus mostly on the sacrifice, not on the the, the day, like Paul was concerned in Colossians 2. And all of them have the Hebrew term in the plural, whereas Paul used singular terms in the New Testament in Colossians 2. And because of these differences... It doesn't seem like any of these are exactly the pattern that Paul was using if he was referring or quoting an Old Testament passage. But I mentioned that we'd come back to Hosea 2, verse 11. Let me put Hosea two eleven up on the screen and think about Colossians 2 as we read this. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her Sabbaths, all her appointed feasts. Here we see, in the proper order, feast days, which is the same as festivals, Hebrew word hag, her new moons, her sabbaths. And then it summarizes all her appointed feasts. This one, of all the Old Testament references, is the most closely matched to the one that the Apostle Paul has. It goes in the right order of sequence. It has the right number, three in the sequence, But what we notice about this passage is there's a linguistic indicator by Sabbath. What word do you see there that's significant that we talked about already? It's the word her, a feminine pronoun. So that clues us, that tips us off that Hosea 2.11 is talking about ceremonial Sabbaths. So, of all of the calendar sequence texts in the Old Testament, the one that best matches Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 is Hosea 2.11, which is a reference to ceremonial Sabbaths. Again, these objections, as you start to look at them, they don't seem to hold the water or the weight that they seem to when you first encounter them. Now, it's important for us to also understand the meaning of the terms. Colossians 2 mentions festivals. That's the, the Greek word hearte, uh, And that's the word that is used to translate the Hebrew Old Testament word hag. So, in this passage, the word hag is used. And if they were to look at the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, it would be the word hearte, which is what the Apostle Paul uses in Colossians 2. It's significant because when you look up hag in the Old Testament, It's restricted to just three feasts. It doesn't refer to all of them. It just refers to three. Now, this is significant. Let me put up another quote on the screen here because commentators like Greg Taylor will say things like this. It would be redundant for this to refer to the appointed feasts, referring to uh, the Sabbath as ceremonial in Colossians 2. It would read, Let no one judge you regarding the festivals, new moons, or the festivals. That would not make sense. Because commentators like Greg Taylor are assuming that the first word in the sequence, feasts or festivals, includes all of the Old Testament festivals. But when you go back to the Old Testament and you study out the key word, you see it only refers to just three of them. Which three are they? It's the Passover, the Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Day of Atonement and the Feast of Trumpets are never called Hag in the Old Testament. Another word is used the word Sabbath. Ceremonial Sabbath is used to refer to those. Similarly, if you go to the New Testament and you look at that Greek word, hearte, hearte it only refers again to the same three festivals. Not all of them, only three of them the Passover. Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Hearte is never used in reference to the Feast of Trumpets, to the Day of Atonement, or to the sabbatical years. So this idea that Paul, that the Sabbath, the Seventh-day Sabbath, um, or rather, let me back up, this idea of redundancy in the way that we understand Sabbath being ceremonial uh, doesn't actually pose any sort of a problem. Paul, if he used Sabbath to refer to ceremonial days, he was actually providing a more full and complete list of these Old Testament services and ceremonies, not being redundant. Does that make sense? Because that first word is not all-inclusive. It only includes the first three. He would be lacking and missing out on including the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the sabbatical years if he didn't have the word Sabbath in reference to ceremonial Sabbath. So again, the objection of redundancy uh, falls incomplete and doesn't, uh, um, doesn't really pose any sort of a problem to our typical understanding. So we've talked about a lot already, and we have a few more things to share, but let's just review where we've been so far. So far we've seen that in the Old and New Testament, when you see the word Sabbath, there are some clear linguistic indicators that tell us it's the seventh-day Sabbath. Since Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 lacks any of those clear linguistic indicators for either week or seventh-day Sabbath, it's very appropriate to conclude that it's talking about a ceremonial Sabbath or multiple ceremonial sabbaths. We also observed and, and studied the claim that Paul was basing the sequence of the words feasts, new moons, and sabbaths off of an Old Testament sequence that was referencing seventh-day sabbaths. But we saw that, that those passages, and you can look them up on your own, re, re-watch the live stream later on, you can look up those passages as I did, and they don't fit. The one that best fits is Hosea 2.11, which seems to be a reference to ceremonial Sabbaths. So if Paul based it on any passage, it's probably that one, which is a a reference to ceremonial Sabbaths. And finally, when you look at the term feasts, it doesn't describe all of them, it just talks about three of them. And so you need the word Sabbath, in reference to the ceremonial Sabbaths, to fully encompass what Paul is talking about. Because what does the broader context of all of this say? It's saying that something was nailed to the cross. Something was done away with when Christ came and when he died on the cross. I'm so thankful that we don't have to sacrifice lambs anymore. Amen? It would not go well on our nice green carpet, would it? It would be very stained if we had to do that. Now, we are not required to observe the festivals. Some people say, oh, you have to keep these feasts. No, Paul says very clearly they were nailed to the cross. You don't have to observe them. Now, if you want to learn about them, you're going to be blessed and enriched if you do. But we're no longer obligated because Jesus is the one who fulfilled it. And I want to go back to Colossians chapter 2 and look again at this passage briefly. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says, "...so let no one judge you in food or drink, or in regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbaths..." And again, food or drink here is in the context of these Old Testament ceremonial festivals and practices. Verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of whom? Christ. So all of these things, Paul explains in verse 17, were a shadow, a foreshadow which pointed forward to Christ. And that same word foreshadow is used also in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, talking about how the Old Testament sanctuary was a shadow of the reality of Jesus, of the eternal heavenly sanctuary. And so we see very clearly the seventh-day Sabbath never functioned as a foreshadowing of Jesus. It was established as a memorial to creation, a special day of rest. And so are we justified in believing that the Apostle Paul in Colossians 2 verse 16 was referring not to the seventh-day Sabbath being nailed to the cross, but to the ceremonial Sabbaths, these Old Testament festivals? Absolutely. I think the evidence is pretty clear. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with the blessed seventh-day Sabbath that God gave us as a gift. Something that was meant to be a blessing for all of us. Something that we wish and hope and long that more people would know about because of the meaning and the specialness that it has in our own hearts. I mean, haven't you been blessed by the Sabbath? And if you're not blessed, it's because it's been explained to you wrong. And I'm sorry about that. We need to do a better job about that. Sabbath is not a day of do and do nots. It's a day of relationship. My dad said it like this. Instead of asking, God, or can I or can't I do this on the Sabbath, he said a much better question to ask is, what's the best thing that I can do today? So on this special day, as we think about Jesus and what he accomplished on that cross we can say thank you so much that most of all your hands were nailed to the cross because if those hands weren't nailed to that cross none of us would have any hope for any sort of future but because his hands were there we can be here and someday we can be there with him in heaven great question keep on asking them And let's keep on studying God's word. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing love. We will never fully understand, Jesus, what you did for us on that cross. But we just say thank you. Lord, please continue to enlighten our understanding. Give us humility as we study your scriptures. And help us to keep on learning and growing day by day. And give us opportunities to share what we learn and to help others to know how good you are and that you're coming back for us again. May we be there on that day with you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We have another great question that one of you asked.